Hi, I'm Mackenzie Fagan, and this is 112BK. Today on the show, we're talking to the New York City Sirens, the women's motorcycle club that lures unsuspecting boys to their deaths with the sweet rumble of their Harleys. I often get the question, you ride that bike as if their eyes must be lying. Yeah. And then one man's plan to cope with the L train shutdown on two wheels and 744 cc's. But what now after the shutdown has been shut down? A lot of people have been asking me, am I going to sell the bike? Which I could, like, but I have been embracing the motorcycle ownership thing. Welcome to the show. You may have noticed some changes are afoot at 112BK. We're now broadcasting and podcasting three times a week instead of four. And we're focusing on conversations with creators, cultural critics, politicians, and interpreters of our current social landscape. We want to bring you the conversations you might hear in Brooklyn's coffee shops, bookstores, bars, and bodegas, only here in this weird little studio. We'll be talking about art, power, culture, gender, design, politics, food, race, sex, and motorcycles. That's our show today. Our guests are here to talk about motorcycles both as a symbolic vehicle for burning down the patriarchy and a practical vehicle for conquering a broken subway system. You could say that today's show is really about freedom. Stay tuned. When you think about somebody who belongs to a motorcycle club, perhaps your mind conjures the image of a white guy with a ZZ Top beard, probably named Knuckles or Ribeye, or a guy called Tiny who is definitely not Tiny. For the founding members of the Sirens, the lack of female representation within the motorcycle community was a problem that needed solving. They considered names like the Skidlets, Sister Spokes, and my personal favorite, the Menstrual Cycles, before settling on the Sirens, inspired by the Homeric mermaids who led men to their watery graves. This all-women bike club has now been on the road for more than 30 years, challenging the patriarchy, gobbling up miles, riding out in front of the New York Pride Parade, and transporting breast milk to babies in need. To tell us about their founding, their membership, and their mission, we're joined by co-founder Cheryl Stewart. Welcome to 112BK. Thank you. And we also have a Sirens past president and current editor of the club's newsletter, Sandra Fleming. So happy to have you on the show. Hi. So maybe we could start by you telling me a little bit about how you started riding bikes. So we'll start with you, Cheryl. I am from New York City, and I was living in San Francisco briefly, and that's when I started riding. So I learned to ride on the hills and trolley tracks of San Francisco, which was challenging. But you don't know that when you just <coughs> learn. You learn where you are. And um, uh, as soon as I got my license, within a week, I was on my first cross-country trip coming back home. And I, I went up and down and around, and I was in the Yukon and down. I, I zigzagged all around and, and then headed up to uh, New England. But it, I, I stayed out in a, until it was just too cold, and I finally came back home to New York when I couldn't stay out another day. But it was one of the best things I ever did. I just kept riding. And I'd stop and work a little and you know, get a little more money. I was traveling for gas and groceries. I, I just camped off-road and, you know, didn't spend money hardly at all. So you've been on motorcycles for a while then? Since 1981. And what about you, Sandra? Well, I started riding because I worked for a home care agency, and parking was really bad. So when I started riding, those electric bikes weren't legal. The next option was a motorcycle. 
and it solved my parking problem, but then it became a passion. Like for you, riding all over the country, it became a passion and I became fanatical. So now I, in the club, I like to do the cross country as well. I teach motorcycling and the sirens. Both of our passions is our club is that's like our social, most of our social outlet. Yes, it is. And uh, what also is really interesting to me is that our club culture is, is really imbued with a couple of things. I mean, Sandra is such a great rider, and she's an MSF instructor. That's our guru, though. I, <laughs> I, I have also been an instructor at the track, and I, I love to keep my skills sharp. And it's one of the hallmarks of our club. It's part of our culture to really want to excel and also to do political work for motorcycle rides. I want to come back to that, but you mentioned MSF instructor. What is yes. that? Well, in New York State, in order to, to ride motorcycles, you need a license. So That's good. You, get a, you have a <laughs> D for driver and an M for motorcyclist on your license. So there's several schools. I work for the Motorcycle Safety School, and you take a class two days. At the end of it, we give you a test that will waive your need to take the New York State motorcycle tests. And Cheryl, I'm curious about when you started riding in the 80s. Were there many other <laughs> women on the road, or what was the association between women and motorcycles? It was so rare to see another woman riding a motorcycle. It was so rare. If I passed another woman on the road riding a motorcycle, we'd have to stop and have a little party. It was just <laughs> so rare. You just wow, look at that. You know, it was really extraordinary. And the fact that just out riding on your own, some of the women were who were riding would ride, you know, maybe with their husbands, but it was very rare for a woman to ride her own motorcycle. And I'm so happy that that's changed a great deal since then. It's still not common, and you still get really idiotic comments from men who aren't expecting to see. Is that yours? <laughs> is that yours is the question that you get? Well, I often get the question, you ride that bike? Well, While you're just, on the bike? Yes. Saw me <laughs> ride up on the bike and get off the bike. And then they said, you ride that bike? As if their eyes must be lying. Yes. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. Um, I also get the impression, and maybe this is erroneous, that women who were parts of motorcycle clubs or who were like the old ladies of people in clubs were sort of like, um, I don't know, the window dressing or the property of. Property it, of. You will see a patch for a club. It'll say property of that club. They couldn't be patched. Women can't be patched. In, in old school outlaw motorcycle clubs, absolutely the women aren't allowed to be full members. They I are. see. And that's what patching means is becoming a well, earning the logo on the back of your jacket or your leather or wherever you put it, yeah. that's called patch. There's always a pledge period for I most see. clubs. I see. So in an old school male club, you might have a male member and he would have his bike and his woman both as his property. Was that the idea? Um, it depends on the club. Okay. Some people... It just says property of. That's all. You know, I, I think everybody has their own ideas about it. There was an outlaw club like that was for a while that was on the block behind mine in um, Brooklyn. And um, that was, was it the Filthy Mad Dogs? <laughs> and and yeah, the women weren't allowed to be members, yeah. and they would get a patch called the property of. So you're the property of the Filthy Mad Dogs, which is every girl's dream, of course. Fun and neighbors, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So this was sort of the climate um, in which you learned how to ride. Yeah. So it maybe it's maybe it's obvious about why you needed to form up. Actually, 
a lot of people, almost I'd say the vast majority of motorcyclists aren't really club members. They're, um, they ride individually and maybe they have some friends that they ride with together. It's, it's a different thing to be in a motorcycle club and that's why it was so transgressive. We didn't even know, we were just, you know, hey, let's have some women biker buddies and start a women's motorcycle club and, and we, it ended up being, of course, very transgressive at the time. And, and Sandra, how did you find the sirens? You know, I wanted people to ride with because I wanted to find out more about motorcycling, which I loved the sirens for because I had Cheryl. She's, I would come to you like, how do I handle these potholes and not staring at the ground and how to make these turns? And You did? Yeah, I did. I came to you for that. <laughs> I, would, I would ask all these little questions. Can't but you, you, you have questions. You have questions about gear, about how to maintain your bike. We have a... Uh, oil change day. We have so many women in our club who wrench their bikes. You yes. want to know where the good roads are, you know. So to find a social organization to learn more about motorcycling, I probably looked on the internet and found the sirens that way. I mean, they've been leading the pride since '87. I, I knew uh, they were up there, but I '86. It's '86. It is. It's '86. Because we formed in '86 and then immediately led. That the first right, right. So they yeah. formed in '86. So I knew they were in the front, but I played in the Big Apple course. I was always in the band, but so I never even saw you guys <laughs> up there. But I knew it existed. It was interesting to find out. They are not called dykes on bikes. Yes. Everybody calls it dykes on bikes. I was confused bikes. about this as well. Yeah, that's, that's a separate. San Francisco. Yeah, okay, that's, that's not San Francisco. In fact, it, uh, dykes on bikes could be uh, adjective, but it's not a proper <laughs> noun for right. us. Right, right, right. It's not the name of the Understood. club, right? Yeah. So in San Francisco, the whole contingent that leads the San Francisco Pride March is called Dykes on Bikes, and then they made their own club called Dykes on Bikes, which I they see. had to go through years of copyright fights about because the copyright people in Washington thought that it was offensive. And so that mm. took a long time. And the person who did all the work is, uh, we all sort of know each other. It's, it's right. the old motorcyclists. <laughs> Almost everybody knows each other. And uh, that was a lot of work. And, and uh, it was a pretty triumphant moment. And now they have chapters in other places as well, including we have a member from Iceland who's in Iceland. The entire country has, is one chapter of Dykes on Bikes. <laughs> oh, that's so cute. Dyke on Bike. Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. She, she, there are other members. Uh, but I see. the entire <laughs> country is the, the uh, territory that's of one amazing. chapter of Dykes on Bikes. That's funny. <laughs> yes. Well, I definitely learned something, that it's actually the sirens, the sirens yeah. uh, not proper noun Dykes on Bikes, who, who yeah. ride out in front of the Pride yeah. Parade. Right. So we are the leaders, and then we invite all of any other motorcyclists who wants to join us, so we organize the contingent. So it's a much larger contingent than just our club. And it's going to be really big this year. That's right. So it's the yeah. 50th anniversary of Stonewall. Are you guys planning anything? Oh, not special? only that, it's World Pride. World Pride, it's right. It's World mm -hmm. Pride. So our ranks are going to swell. So if somebody wants to ride this year, don't register yet. We haven't opened registration yet because Pride is still being organized. There's a lot. But we're looking for sponsors because we want to have a big motorcycle event. So if anybody's interested in sponsoring us, can I give our email? Please do, so yes. So sirens.mc.nyc at gmail. So if you're interested in sponsoring us, we want to give goodie bags and have our have your logo represented during the parade because we typically have 100 to 150 bikes. I'm sure that's going to swell this year 
<clears throat> since World Pride is going to be so huge, Pride route is going to be the same as it was last year. We won't get into that. But it's going to be <laughs> the same as it was last year, which is very different. We used to end down in on Christopher Street, but mm-hmm. it got a little tight. It's going to be such a large crowd that they're dispersing more Midtown. Right. But we want to have a big motorcycle block party because we get a lot of bikes out there. Our sister club from Boston will be coming, the Moving Violations. And there's some big men's clubs that participate. But anyone who rides a motorcycle or a scooter is welcome to come out and enjoy Pride with us. Show your pride for World Pride, and let's make a huge showing. Yeah, we, we've had some straight supporters join us. For oh, pride. of course, anybody. Sure. Allies, anyone. welcome. Uh-huh. Anyone. Well, looking forward to seeing you guys. Scooters and motorcycles. Yes. Yeah, that's yes. great. I'm looking Allies. forward to seeing you guys ride out this year. <laughs> yeah. um, tell me a little bit about what you ride and maybe about the significance that your bike holds in your life. I since I my job I use it every day uh, when it's above fifty I'm kind of a punk because I use it for work um, I ride every day it's above fifty because I go house to house serving patients so I ride when I do long trips I ride a Yamaha FJ09 which is a nice big sport tourer and then for around town I have a FZ07 for fun quickie in and out so do you do you name your bike is that blue a and red that makes sense. Oh, that's blue and red. That's pretty much it. Uh-huh. I, I don't have names for my bikes now. In the past, I have, but my bikes aren't named right now. They're just special enough exactly the way they are. I'm also on a Yamaha for the street. I have a um, an FC1, a 2009 FC1, and that's a great, big, heavy street bike and um, it's a commuter for me as well because I'm a freelance artist and I need to put my tools on a vehicle and get somewhere that's definitely not very accessible and where I live is there aren't many public transportation options either in Red Hook so my motorcycle is definitely a commuter vehicle as well as my joy and my passion and then I also have a bike for the track I love to do track days and uh, I saved two years for the bike of my dreams, a BMW S1000RR, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and it makes me so happy. Track days are, uh, you're not exactly racing. I mean, you're certainly going to do your best to pass the rider in front of you, and it's great when the rider behind you can't pass you, but you know, you're out there for 20 minutes every hour with people in your relative skill set, and then you get off the track, and then the next group comes out, and you just keep doing that every hour, and I get a lot of really cool track time that way and that that suits me just fine. (laughs) So speaking of uh, commuting on a motorcycle, our next guest who we have on just bought a motorcycle, learned how to ride a motorcycle because of the L train shutdown. He lives in Williamsburg. So I'm wondering if you have any advice for new riders in the city, new commuters on motorcycles. Oh yeah, lots of advice. Yeah, Yeah, we have a lot of people. I have several students who said that last summer in my classes that they were going to do that. Ride, ride, ride. See, a lot of people will just limit how they ride. They'll just ride in the city. They won't get out and go upstate. New York has really wonderfully beautiful motorcycle roads. We call them nice twisty roads where you can go and have a great time. Even if you just want to start easy, go up to Bear Mountain and Putnam County and so forth. There's some one, But so people don't ride enough. 
And it's, think about a car. Think if you only drove your car for 10 minutes every day just to work. You're not going to get the skill set or the muscle memory to be able to address a crisis. Or, oh, I got to hit the brakes quick. Oh, you start. You don't. So ride, ride, ride. That's the advice. Yeah, it sucks that the L train might continue to run, but now you have a no, wonderful machine that you can park. It's green. Cheryl is working for congestion pricing, so. <laughs> yes, I've started a couple of groups. Um, in the past, uh, I'm a founder, co-founder of the New York Motorcycle and Scooter Task Force. We were working on motorcycle political issues, and um, now uh, my project that I'm working on right now is Riders Against Congestion, which is working on congestion pricing parity for motorcycles, which to me means because we are congestion-reducing fuel-efficient transportation, you can park 21 motorcycles in the space that three three and a half cars take up. It's astonishing how much space it would save if there was a mode shift away from cars and towards motorcycles. Congestion would be reduced. And because we actually do reduce congestion, we believe that motorcycles should not be told at all that we should be incentivized. We should mm -hmm. have free parking for crying out loud. Mm -hmm. So um, I would say to continue on your question, yeah, definitely stay aware of what the rules and laws are because you can get caught out right now. Rather than incentivize us to ride, it seems that New York City is trying to discourage us. So they've got a campaign right now of um, towing motorcycles for very small infractions like a, um, an inspection sticker that's out of date. So make sure all your stuff is right up to date. And besides that, keep yourself apprised of the rules and the laws. Mm -hmm. And uh, you can get involved with any of our organizations if you want to make it better for us. Yeah. But uh, I'd yeah. say that um, jumping off of what Sandra said as far as getting experience, my advice for riding in New York City traffic is this is a place for a Zen master. You really have to feel the flow. Feel the flow and feel comfortable in it. Ride in the spot where you feel comfortable in that flow and you'll certainly do better. Mm -hmm. And to Sandra's point, I'll bet that takes a lot of practice to figure out yes. your flow and what ride, you're comfortable ride, ride. with. Shifting topics a little bit, the way that we socialize girls in our society is often to have them avoid dangerous things, dangerous sports. What do you say to people who say, well, you know, motorcycle riding is, is very dangerous. I wouldn't want my daughter to learn how to do that. We're not idiots. We do understand that the risk <laughs> is higher for riding a motorcycle than it is for driving a car. What nobody talks about is the rewards. The rewards are tremendous. I have to say uh, my reaction time uh, at 56 years old, my reaction time has gotten sharper. It gets better and better as I ride. If you're riding at speed or in traffic in New York City, you'd better have good reaction time or something bad might happen. And let me tell you, that that's a really good incentive to keep yourself sharp. I'm fit. I'm happy. When other people are on the road and, you know, you're sitting in traffic in a car and, and, and your lane moves and, yeah, I passed the van. I get that feeling all day, every day in traffic on a motorcycle. <laughs> And uh, it's a fuel-efficient, congestion-reducing right. vehicle. This is a really great vehicle for New York City traffic. And so I have an advantage of getting everywhere I want to get to faster and happier. And, and Cheryl, you also lost a partner in I a did. motorcycle accident, and you yourself were in a, a, a bad accident as I, well. Yes, I've, I've been in one very serious accident and, and a few others that 
well, I thought they were serious at the time, but what did I know? Everything's compared relative. To, I compared to my big accident. Um, yeah, so yes, bad things can happen. Um, bad things can happen waiting for the bus. Bad things can happen in a car. Bad things can happen anywhere, anytime. So I say, enjoy your life and do the thing that you love. So yes, I did lose my partner. She had the right of way. Um, the uh, truck driver had a stop sign and um, he blew the stein. That's all. And she died. She was very happy. <laughs> she was doing what she loved. And I know you spoke about how her death for many club members was an inflection point, um, that some yes. people did give up writing. Yes. That there was a lot of, I guess, soul searching about what writing meant to people. Um, and as you've, as you've just stated about, you know, how it's something that brings you great joy. It never crossed my mind to stop writing after Sharon died. And um, then I found out that for others, that was the thing that made them say, yeah, no, forget it. It's not, I'm not writing. And uh, I was surprised because I didn't connect those two things in my own mind. This is what I do. This is what I love. I, I, my life is so fabulous now. I have the best life. I love my life. Um, but when I was younger, I, my life was really sucky. And um, honestly, I, I, I normally, I don't say this very often. I'll just say it right now. I'm just, I'll just say it in front of everybody. Um, if I didn't ride, if I didn't have that joy, if I didn't have this thing that I found that makes me so happy, I probably wouldn't be here now. Honestly, I really wouldn't. Yeah, I'm here because I ride. It's amazing that you guys have both found something that you're passionate about and have created community around this shared mm -hmm. interest of amazing, amazing women. You know, I, I happened to find myself at Babes Right Out in oh, um, yeah. Joshua Tree earlier yeah. this year, cool. quite by accident. Wow. Uh, and it was, and my girlfriend rides, and it was just amazing for us to be there and see all of this diverse group of women. And I imagine, you know, since the 80s, you know, you sort of pioneered, we're pioneers in, in female motorcycle clubs. And now there were all of these women who are riding together, and some of them had, like, cute matching outfits. Oh, and, yeah, now there's more gear. It was <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I'm also wondering, you know, there were many different genres of women, I guess, who were there. And I'm wondering, mm -hmm. as the community has grown, um, Sandra, have you found that it's become uh, fractitious at all, or is it still a very tight community of women who ride? You know what? I think it, it splinters some by age and some by bike, but it, it's still kind of new. You know, I don't think it's big enough to splinter in the way you might think it, mm. it would. Um, I went to Babes right out. I fell a little low. <laughs> fell a little low. But <laughs> some, of, some of my, some of the uh, club members go every year. They love it. They absolutely love it. And they go out west and it, there's a Babes right out east coast. Everybody has different things they, they love to do. You know, like you love track days. Mm. I like cross country. I like track days, but I'll just do it for the education of it because it's so educational to do a track day. I can't wait to get you to really come to the track. <laughs> you, you would totally ace it. You would love it. <laughs> I think you got to go. I mean, she asked I you on want, TV. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they are. Well, so, so the thing about, sure, there have been times in the past, especially when there was a really big schism between Harley riders and non-Harley riders. But by and large, if anyone rides a motorcycle, we all think we're friends until you prove otherwise. There's this really strong community point. If you ride and I ride, we are friends instantly. 
Yeah. I mean, in our club, we do have, we had, when I first came to the Simons, it was like the BMW ladies and then the Cruiser yeah, ladies. Really? But because okay. the bikes will do different things. They turn a little different. They have different torque. So some bikes can take off a little quicker or sometimes the rides might be a little faster depending on who's leading it but I think at this point in our club we're kind of all just bikers mm. yeah mm-hmm. there, there are times when you will see people separate by bike type by age by ethnicity there's a big black community of riders yeah. there's a organization I am um, affiliated with called uh, Black Girls Ride so we're going down in New Orleans but anybody can go my when are you going the, we're going in July taking a group of July ladies down in New yeah, well, that's when the Essence, we're riding down to the Essence Fest. Oh, that's So cool. Linda and I are going. So Linda's white. She's going. Really, with the sirens, we're everybody. We're really, really a multicultural, multi-age, multi-demographic group. So, no, we that's don't amazing. pretty much. I think everybody feels comfortable no matter what community you come from. Well, you guys are not only cool as hell, you're doing amazing work. <laughs> um, and I also just want to mention that our producer here, Shreem Bargi and Martine Gramby, have a documentary that they're working on about the sirens. So um, if people want to learn more, they can stay tuned for that. And thank you so, so much for coming on the Thanks show. Thanks for having Cheryl, us. Thanks Sandra. for having us. See you at World Pride. On the subject, Erin Brown, who lives in Williamsburg, wrote an article for Jalopnik about learning to ride and purchasing a motorcycle in order to cope with the L train shutdown, which was due to hit the city in April. That was until Governor Cuomo surprised us all by saying that despite years of planning for a 15-month total closure, we could solve the problems with some nighttime and weekend interventions, scotch tape, and gumption. Erin Brown joins us to talk about motorcycle maintenance and whether the new L train plan is harshing his zen. Thanks so much for joining us, Aaron. Sure. Thank you for having me. To put in your own words, you're a bike boy now. You were a car guy. Now you're a bike boy. Yeah. I'm. To be completely honest, I'm probably still more of a car guy than a bike boy, but it is what it is. I'm trying to embrace the motorcycle culture. Uh, I'm trying to kind of lean into it um, as best as I can. You, you don't have your jacket on today. But... I don't. Okay. I don't. Yeah. I, I didn't think my high-vis armored jacket would be the most appropriate. I didn't ride in. So. so you sold a car in order to buy a bike. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Was that painful for you? It was a Subaru RX Turbo Rally car. I don't know what that is, but yeah, you no. do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. So that car, it is a fully prepped rally car, basically set up for racing through rally stages like dirt roads in the forest. I did one of those events with it in 2017. To do those events, it takes a lot more than just having the car. You need to have like all the safety equipment, and really, it's a lot of money to run those events, and I wasn't making the most of the car. So it's kind right. of just you sitting You do there. live in New York, as we've established. I so. do. I do. Yeah. Thankfully, I was able to keep that car out of the city for most of my ownership, but it's just like I didn't need it. So you sold that car in order to buy your motorcycle. Yeah. What did you get? I got a 2013 Moto Guzzi V7 Stone. It's basically like an Italian bike with probably a medium amount of power. It's like 50 horsepower. It's like a 400-pound bike. So it's like kind of... It, some people think it's a little too much, but like some of the more experienced riders I've spoken to feel it's like a pretty good starting point. Okay. I do as well. And and it's a starting point because you didn't actually know how to ride a motorcycle before you decided to commit to riding a motorcycle. Right. I had a I had an idea, but I had never actually done it. So yeah, it's 
totally my starting point. And so you took classes, and actually your instructor was a member of the Sirens. Yeah, she was great. And, um, Jerry. And, and so you, you did this two-day program. Tell us a little bit about that. Was it challenging? How did that go for you? Sure. So, so there are some things that they teach you in this. It's called the MSF Basic Riders Course. Um, they have like different ones for different levels of experience. But basically, it's a two-day course that you can take at different certified schools that they have across the country. In New York City, if you take this course, you can basically get your motorcycle license after that. And if you already have a motorcycle permit, which you get if you just take a uh, kind of written exam. So the class itself, uh, they start you out in a classroom, kind of give you basics on what to do and what not to do when riding. Um, and then after a couple hours of that, they take you out to a parking lot, a closed course, and they put you on one of their bikes. But before putting you on a bike, they kind of get you, make sure you're familiar with the vehicle um, and comfortable with it and kind of know what you're getting into. Mm -hmm. So for me, as someone who's done like a decent amount of performance driving and kind of understands how to respect like the vehicle and not push beyond your own boundaries or like your car or motorcycle's boundaries, I kind of got it. Also, it helps if you know how to drive a manual transmission car. Sure, sure. It's like you have to use the clutch and like shift with your foot, which before taking the class was not something I had done on a bike. I daily drive manual cars. I'm really comfortable with it. So it's easy for me to kind of get that. But you did you did fail the test the first time around. I did. So they make you take a written test in the class right after the classroom stuff, which I did. It's like a 25-question thing. Mm -hmm. Past that. But at the end of the two-day, they have you do a skill eval, mm -hmm. um, which involves like six, five or six different things in the parking lot, on the bike, to do like a timed lap, emergency braking, object avoidance, slalom, stuff like that. And it can be tricky if you are really not that comfortable on a bike. I got like one more point than I was allowed to get. Like you get like 10 max, and if you go over that, you fail. I think I tapped a cone, which you can't do. I went a little too far in the emergency braking zone, which you can't do. Yeah, and you had only been riding for a day and a half at this point, right? In your defense, right. okay. I think I was doing pretty well, <laughs> but you know, yeah. I don't know. The only other thing they make you do this really tight U-turn in a box, which you can't put your foot down, and you really have to like just keep it together. Yeah, I put my foot down, so that was like the yeah. the really hard thing. But it was fun. It was super uh, super educational for me. And so um, you've been using the bike to commute in advance of the L train shutdown, but now it sounds like there isn't going to be an L train shutdown. So they say that, yeah. How are you feeling about this? Do you want your rally car back? Are you happy? I am happy. A lot of people have been asking me, am I going to sell the bike? Which I could. Like, I'm not, I tend to not keep my cars for too long. I kind of like to buy something relatively cheap and get as much money back out of it as I can. But I have been embracing the motorcycle ownership thing. Yeah. I do enjoy riding it into work. I actually got a ticket yesterday, though, uh, my first bike ticket. But I do think it's I It's a rite of passage. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I've been told that the NYPD, they don't love motorcyclists. Right. But we'll That's see. what the sirens just said. Yeah. I mean, my thing is, like, I, I have a lot of car friends. And, like, when I told them about my plan to, like, buy a motorcycle, these are people who don't ride. Yeah. Um, when I told them about my plan to buy a motorcycle, they're like, no, like, it's too, like, risky, too dangerous. I don't know. Like, I just can't get there. But then I have other friends who are really 
who are also very car friendly and car oriented who love riding and that's like totally their thing and it's like those people feel like while well, they're easier to work on they're much easier to get around the city it's way easier to park a motorcycle you still have to deal with like all the rules but like just like squeezing in anywhere right you can so, park anywhere yeah so i feel like as someone who lives in the city it it makes a lot more sense mm-hmm. to get into biking than like having a full-on car like you could technically probably do an oil change on the street, which you could do in a car, you right. with a car, but I probably wouldn't recommend it, you know? So we asked our previous guests, uh, members of the Sirens, if they had any advice for you as a sure. new rider. So yeah. here's what they said. Okay. My advice for riding in New York City traffic is this is a place for a Zen master. You really have to feel the flow. Feel the flow and feel comfortable in it, ride in the spot where you feel comfortable. Any response to that advice? I do believe that to really get used to, to get comfortable and be safe, you have to know the limits of what you're dealing with. Um, so yeah, I do plan on getting out of the city and riding it and like just for, like getting it on some good back roads. So I have a lot of back roads um, kind of mapped out in my mind that I, I go driving on. Um, so I totally plan on doing it, calling up some of my bike friends and just going for it. That cool. is in the cards. All right. Well, thank you, Aaron, so much sure. for joining us. And thank good you so luck much. with the writing. Thank you. Thank you. That's the show for today. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back on Friday talking about the Reality Winner play that's currently being mounted at the kitchen in Chelsea. Reality Winner is the NSA contractor who leaked classified documents about Russian interference in the 2016 elections to a news website. She's now serving a five-year prison sentence. The play is based entirely on the transcript of her FBI interrogation. So hope to see you then. Woman 2BK is hosted by me, Mackenzie Bagan. It is series produced by Ross Tuttle, also produced by Fred Brown, Shireen Bargi, Isabel Alcantara, Naeem Van, and Emily Bogosian. It is recorded in studio by Clinton Filson Jr., Eric Hagaseg, and Antonio M. Rosario. It is post-produced by Alexander Pointzolo, edited by Mira Al-Rahim, and executive produced by Jonathan Leaf, Sasha Mathias, and Aziz Aisham. Today's segments were produced by Shireen Bargi. 